Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is Thursday, July 27th, 2023. We're not going to waste any time and let you know. Tonight's message is entitled, Eyes on Fire. Eyes on Fire. Can you see the fire in our eyes tonight? All right, good. Look, we're going to do a quick recap. Sunday, there was a great need to stay in the presence of God. Did y'all receive that on Sunday? We learned about the necessity of encamping around the presence of God and in relation to our brothers. This message is the plumb line by which we align our lives. Can you feel that? This is a message. The call to kingship is one that we will continually go back to, and we will see how we are rightly aligning to the presence of God amongst the people of God. On Tuesday, there was a great need for each man to experience the presence of God to rightly function in the God-ordained teams they've been set in. Did y'all get that from Foundations on Tuesday? All right. I'm going to need y'all to speak to me. All right. I shouldn't have to request it. Speak to me. The privilege of having to access the presence of God is a privilege that, we mu- that must be taken advantage of, that God has given us access to his presence. Messiah shed his blood. He tore the veil of his flesh so that we would have access to the ark, that is, the presence of God in the most holy place. Man, isn't that good news? Yeah. Man, it, it's, it's not good news if we're not taking advantage of that. It's not good news if we get to a meeting and we don't have the conviction of what the Lord has said. Or at least we know that we're seeking Him and we enter in His presence. The nation's livelihood, Israel's livelihood, depended on having their eyes on the ark and being physically present wherever the ark was. Their eyes were not simply individually, like personally on the ark, but altogether their eyes were on the ark and on each other. We are all together surrounding the ark. We don't just look at the ark. We look at the surroundings of the ark as we focus on the ark. So that we all move as one unit when the ark moves. And not just on your own trying to follow the ark without anybody with you. Numbers 10 tells us about the expectation of victory as the presence of God moved and the people moved and marched with it. Numbers 10, verse 34. It says, And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day. Whenever they set out from the camp, and whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. And when he rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. All right? So, the people did not go to fight their enemies on their own. You know, like many times I've tried. It's like, oh, there's an enemy. I got go to gotta go fight it. The, the people of God did not go individually. Right. The people of God did not go individually with the presence of God. The people of God went together with the presence of God. Amen. They moved with the presence as one unit. And that is why Moses said, arise, O Lord. Arise and give us the victory. This is a community. This is one unit. And as we move with the ark, we have the expectation of victory. Look, as you can tell, we are bursting at the seams with excitement tonight. Tonight is going to be a good night. The men that you're looking looking at on this stage, we are experiencing this as we give this word to you. Look, I walked into this building tonight thinking about the worst of humanity, thinking about death and the toil of sin in the life of men. But when we got into the presence of God and I began to focus on Him, when we sang those words, you deserve my every breath, my best, my all, I begin to focus on the fact that He is good no matter what, and I choose to set my eyes on Him. Tonight's going to be a good night. Turn with us to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David 
remained at Jerusalem. The beginning of this chapter sets up a juxtaposition. At a time when who goes out to battle? A time when kings go out to battle. What is David? David's a king. At a time when kings go out to battle, and by the way, how does Israel go out to battle? With the ark of God and the encampment of Israel all around the ark of God. At that time, David remained at Jerusalem. The, ki- the ark has gone into battle. The king has stayed at Jerusalem. What is happening here is that as the ark is going out into battle, David is doing something that starts a downward spiral in his life. He begins to take his eyes off of the ark and the encampments of Israel all around the ark. Now, this probably didn't happen all of a sudden, this downward spiral in David's life. There's a progression here. There is evidence of something deeper at play, but it starts when David takes his eyes off the ark of God. What is happening is that when David's eyes are not on the ark, it means that David's heart is no longer aligned on the ark. And because his heart is not aligned on the ark, it's not aligned with the people of God, nor the purpose of God for David. David's eyes were no longer on the ark or the people. Look for us, when our eyes begin to be set on anything but the presence of God, our hearts begin to stray from the purpose, people, and presence of God. And we find ourselves physically separate from God at places and situations that we should have never been in the first place. It takes a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, but take your eyes off for a second and forget to put them back on, and eventually you start a downward spiral. Instead of being at war, instead of attaining victory over God's enemies, with David's God and David's people, he found himself in a position of being susceptible. He found himself in a vulnerable position and defenseless against God's enemies. What you will learn tonight is that when you take your eyes off of the ark of God, something in your life begins to grow. And that is your desire for sin. Sin begins to become more enticing. Its clutches begin to become stronger. And its desires begin to grow and become more potent the more you take your eyes off of the ark. Something that might not have crushed your life in the beginning when your eyes were on the presence of God might have the potential to lead you astray because the more your eyes are off the ark, the more susceptible you are becoming. Saints, we don't, we don't have to do much to get you to engage with this tonight because we can already feel the Spirit of God has been speaking this to us, right? So as we move through 2 Samuel, we're going to be reading out of the ESV. We're going to pick up in verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Saints, when David's heart was far from God, his eyes not on the presence of God, and he was physically separated from him and his people, his heart began to draw near His eyes began to be placed upon, and his body would ultimately draw near to a woman. And that woman was not his own. Saints, as we are inserting ourselves into this tonight, understand the Lord is getting at our heart and what entices us. What draws us from his presence when we physically remove ourselves, that our heart is actually being removed as well. And what begins to entice us and draw us further and further away. Notice David's failure did not start when he saw Bathsheba. It didn't even start when he stayed in Jerusalem. It started when his heart and therefore his eyes were no longer on the presence of God and his people. Saints, David moved around quite a bit in his life. But the majority of his life when he was moving around, his eyes were set on the Lord. His eyes were set on God's presence and being where God wanted him to be. And that's why we see the success in his life. But in this very moment, he is physically far and he is spiritually far from God and the people of God. Let's go on to verse 3. It says, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, 
Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Man. So David learned that this woman was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Man, Uriah, he's an interesting character. Uriah is a Gentile. I mean, not just a Gentile. He's like a Gentile of Gentiles. A Hittite. Like one of the descendants of the seven nations that should have been destroyed by Israel as they were conquering the land. That's the kind of Gentile that Hittite is, that, uh, that Uriah is. And he's like, he's not just a super Gentile. He is like, he's ev- he has something else inside his life. He has some evidence of a true spiritual identity. His name was evidence that though once he was an enemy of God, he no longer walked in darkness. His eyes had seen the light of God. Uriah's name means the light of Yah or the light of God. Notice that this process started when David set his eyes on her. And now what's happening here is that he's inquiring about her. Man, how quickly that becomes enticing, huh? Where your eyes go, then you start getting your heart following. He's investigating what to do about his sinful desires. He's already beginning to formulate a plan. He's thinking through this. His heart is enticing him. And he's moving. He's inquiring. And he's about to give full vent to his flesh. So let's pick up in verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. So you guys are starting to get the progression here. David took his eyes off of the tangible presence of God. David put his eyes on something else. Then he goes even further to inquire and investigate his sinful desires. Now we have a detail about uh, Bathsheba that is just quite striking to me, honestly. The wife of Uriah, while David takes her, was purifying herself when this occurred. She was married to the light of God, and she was in the process of actively maintaining her purity when David took her. What's so shocking about that is that is exactly what sin seeks to do in our lives. You begin to investigate sin, and then before you know it, you begin to take something that was once pure and then begin to defile it. The problem was not with Bathsheba. The problem started when David took his eyes off of the ark. And y'all know this story well, but there's a reason why we're reading verse by verse, because the details here matter. The progression matters. Verse 5, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David's heart, his eyes, and body were far from God. So David just went ahead and sinned with the bride of the light of God. His eyes, heart, and body were united with a woman not his own. Saints, we could see here David's been completely tempted and lured away by his desires And it gave full birth to sin. This is what it looks like in our very own lives. There's a progression. It's not a sudden thing. We don't wake up one day and just decide to go sin in the kind of way that we see here in 2 Samuel 11. It's a subtle uh, progression. Just like in James uh, 1.15, desire has conceived and given birth to sin. Bathsheba gave birth to David's son. And this was a a great sin in God's eyes. What was supposed to be precious, a woman who is pure before God, was now made unclean. And this gave full birth to sin that didn't just affect David, but affected others that he was supposed to be a light to. But wait, there is more. Let's keep going on verse 6. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing how the people were doing, and how the war was doing. Man, all of a sudden, David is so interested about how the battle is going. It's like, I'm, not, I'm here, the ark is over there, the people is over there, but just tell me. Tell me how everybody is doing. It's like, David immediately starts manipulating Uriah. You remember what Uriah means? Uriah, 
David, David starts manipulating the light of God. Wow. He manipulates the light of God in an attempt to cover up his sin. He starts thinking what to do about this. How can I cover up? How can I manipulate the light of God so that this does not come to the light of God? He begins to ask erroneous and random questions with the attempt to give Uriah a false view of reality. Like my, my king, he's here, but he truly cares, right? But all of a sudden, he's covering up everything that is actually going on in inside his heart. Like when, when we go and start deviating and start speaking nonsense, right, <laughs> to cover up what we've done. It's like all of a sudden you're nervous and you can look into people's eyes. Something's going on. We're asking the wrong questions. Our actions are here, but our words are somewhere else. Our heart is in the middle. That's what's happening with David in this moment. He's in a dilemma, and he's speaking nonsense. Come on, we really got to engage with this church. Do you think David couldn't find out how Joab was doing in some other way? Do you think David couldn't find out how the people were doing? He could. So what is he doing asking Uriah? The only thing he's doing is putting up a false guard in front of Uriah's eyes, in front of the light of God, so it does not uh, recognize the truth of what's happening. David has impregnated his wife, and now he's standing before the man and asking random questions that do not make any sense. You know what that's like. It's whenever you know you really messed up, and you put on a big smile on your face and you show up, and you go right to the pastor, hey, it's been a great day, everything's fine, everything's wonderful, uh, how are you doing? Don't look here. Yeah. Don't look here. Or, you know the one thing that you should be confessing, and instead you go, hey man, you'll never guess, I saw the coolest thing today. I saw a dog running down the street, and I picked it up and put it in my truck, it's, I'm so excited we got a dog now. You're doing everything you can to prevent the light of God from proximity to you. And here David is standing in proximity to the light of God. And he is now seeking to manipulate the light of God. Now all of us have been there. All of us have been there. In our team meetings, in this body, in this church. But where did that start? Somewhere along the way, we took our eyes off of the presence, the ark, the encampment around the ark, the priests doing their duty for us, and that begins to progress downward until we find ourselves manipulating the ark, and we, we manipulating the light of God, and we don't know it. So moving to verse 8 through 11. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. More manipulation. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in tabernacles and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives I will not do this thing you see at this point there's no limit that David won't go to to manipulate the light of God in an attempt to cover over his sin in this moment, you have to imagine this stung David like a thousand needles in his heart. Because the light of God begins to point to the one thing that David took his eyes off in the first place. And yet, it's not going to stop here. The light of God is shining right in front of David, pointing to the ark, pointing to the presence of God, pointing to the people and the battle. And yet David is going to double down and continue to manipulate the light of God. Yeah, that's pretty bad, right? But we're not done. We're going to keep going in verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch 
with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Saints, can we tell you right now, the light of God can't be manipulated. The true light of God cannot be distorted. David is continuing to try to manipulate the light of God by giving soothing gifts, by making Uriah drunk, by trying to prod him to go make love with his wife to cover up his sin, right? When this doesn't work, David is going to try to make the most horrendous mistake he has ever made, found in verse 14. Verse 14 says, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. Man, so sobering to read this passage, huh? So sobering to, to realize that at some point David was so close to the ark. At some point, he was so close to his people. But then, little by little, he just, he just started departing. His heart started growing cold. His actions didn't look like they were before. His zeal for God and the ark and the people was not there anymore. He was just not the same. And it didn't happen in one moment. David finds, his place in a, finds, his, finds himself in a place that he never thought he would be at. Never, never in David's life would he have thought, the righteous David that we know, never would we have thought that David would have committed adultery and then set up a man to be killed. That's not who David is. Yeah. But it didn't happen because that's his essence and who he is. It happened because he took off his eyes from the ark. Yeah. See, having taken his eyes off the ark, David inevitably began to set his eyes on sin. Once his desire conceived sin, he sought to manipulate the light of God in an attempt to cover his sin and avoid the consequences. This led him to become harmful to the people of God around him. When he could not achieve the manipulation of the light, he sought to kill the light of God in his life. The progressive nature of manipulative behavior leads David to discard the light of God and send him back to his own death with his own death, death notice in his hand. Look, we're finding out in our body that it's not impossible to hear from God. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not something that's far off to be able to have direction in our team meetings. What has happened is that most of the time, like me, I have taken the eyes off the ark in some place. And I don't like where the light of God is leading. So I begin to manipulate it when it comes to step three. I begin to manipulate where the light of God is going Using scriptures, using my own, uh, my own knowledge and my own rhetoric, everything that I can to avoid what I feel like is going to be an uncomfortable decision for myself. What we are finding out is that we can hear from God. It means we have to keep our eyes on the ark of God at all times. And this shows up in our daily disciplines. I want to tell you, it is not a comfortable thing to keep your eyes on the ark of God. Because the ark is always going out to war. The presence of God will always lead you in conflict. It will always lead you in the path that God has for you, which is not comfortable. It's so easy to take your eyes off the ark for a second and then find yourself in a weird discussion in your unity-based solutions where you're on the opposing side and you don't know why. It's because you're trying to manipulate the light of God and you've taken your eyes off the ark somewhere. Get back to the ark of God and we can hear from him. We want you to know that this is not where David stayed. God's light is an all-consuming fire, and it cannot be quenched for those that truly love him. God's light is greater than the brightness of the sun, and it cannot be overcome. In the kindness of God, God sent Nathan, a true prophet of God, whose eyes were on the ark, who was a brother to David, who was a fellow co-worker, and who had received Revelation from God. The shocking revelation of what God was saying to David through Nathan is that David ultimately became like a man who had everything he needed from God but stole the only possession that a poor man had, a young lamb. Of course, this is what happens when we take our eyes off the presence of God. But that is not where David stayed. Immediately when that was pointed out, he began to get 
his eyes right. So thankfully, Nathan was sent by God to David. Somebody say, that's mercy. He was sent in order to shine the light of God over this issue, and particularly over David's eyes and heart. Can you sense that this is exactly what God has done to us through the message on Sunday, through our pastors? He shined his light on us. He showed mercy on us to show us what needs to be exposed and what needs to be done away with. Note that Nathan did not seek to confront David with his opinion or his feelings about the matter. See, Nathan received a word from God and delivered that word faithfully to his brother, and it saved his life. Let's all turn to Psalm 51 together. We're going to pick up in verse 10. Come on, we're talking about the turn in David's life right now and the turn that's happening in our life. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Saints in the New King James, the end right there says, and uphold me by your generous spirit. David is crying out for the spirit of God, knowing that God is generous in pouring out his spirit. He's crying, Lord, do not cast me from your presence. I took my eyes off of your presence. I took my heart off of your presence, but God, do not cast me out. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a pure heart and renew a right, a generous spirit within me, a willing spirit. His heart had been separate from God, and the desire of his eyes had no longer been on the ark, nor God's people. Saints, you can't have one with the, without the other. If you are separate from the presence of God, you are separate from the people of God. And vice versa. So therefore, he cried out not to be removed from his presence. He cried out not to have God's spirit taken away from him to the only one who could save him. He had previously not been willing. He had previously not been willing to have his eyes on the ark. He had previously not been willing to have his eyes on the light of God. But now he is crying out, Lord, grant me a generous, willing spirit. Man, David made a, David made a turn. And I am going to let you in in something that happened to me. Not all the details because you don't need him. You want them, but you don't need him. <laughs> all right so i have i am working on something and and i have help available right but it's just not the help that i thought i wanted to have my wicked flesh my wicked heart does not want what the father has given me and so i i put down my face and i keep at it I keep working. I keep, I keep laboring and just hoping that the hope that has been given to me is just not there anymore. So I can just go ahead and keep working, keep doing my own thing. All the time, you know where I'm looking? I'm looking down. I'm really not looking up at all. I even sense God starts wrestling with me. His spirit starts moving inside of me, which, which felt... Hard and beautiful at the same time because he doesn't have to do that for me. Yet he does it. And so he starts wrestling with me and he, and he starts, just starts putting thoughts in my mind. Jesus came and the father's heart is for the fatherless and the widow. Yeah. He, his heart is for those who have been oppressed, who have had lack, who do not have what I have had. And yet in that moment, I'm not looking at that. I'm just looking at what I want in the moment. I'm, I'm thinking, I don't want to offer that to this person. You know that I got in my, in, I was the center this week, and I was given lots of words about how loving I am, how compassionate I am. And, 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 I'm, and I'm like, man, I'm not, able, I'm not being able to do this. I, I have not found myself so much not being able to do exactly what I want in the moment, and yet God been wrestling with me. And in one moment, I just decide, forget this. Forget this. I'm going to look up. I'm going to look at my God. Because when I do, 
There is power. There is compassion. There is willingness when you actually look up and say, Father, what, what am I doing? Forget my flesh. Forget what is going inside of me. Why am I stuck in this? You, give, you grant me access to your presence. You grant me access to your power. You defeat my flesh every time I look to you. Why am I being so oppressed right now when I know the good that I ought to do? You realize that I needed that help more than ever? Amen. That I could have not done what I set my hands to do without that help that the Father granted me? It was humbling. But it was also beautiful to see that if I look up and I set my eyes on the Father, He's still merciful to show me, to train me, to, dis to discipline me. To treat me as a son and then give me the victory in whatever I am doing. Come on. It don't really, amen. It only requires looking up and letting your father shine his beautiful light upon you. So that's what makes a Psalm 51 repentance so powerful. David said, against you only have I sinned. Cast me not from your presence. Oh, he sinned against Bathsheba and he sins against Uriah. But he is going back to the place where he left off. And he is asking for that presence of God back in his life immediately after the moment that he was manipulating the light of God. Church, you can have that in your life. You can ask him to not cast you away. You can ask him to restore you to a willing spirit. And he will put your eyes on himself and restore a generous spirit in you. Look, we're going to turn to Luke 12. Verse 35, we're going to pick up a little bit of pace because we have some exciting things to get to. Yeah. Verse 35 says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Look, this is the heart of LCM. We desire to be dressed for action. We fantasize about always being ready. We are desirous to be the warrior servant that is always on point, on task, completing the assignment. And yet, more often than not, we find ourselves not on point, not on task, and not completing our assignments. The key is found in the words, keep your lamps burning. I love what the pastor shared on Sunday. It was so simple. And they said it was like popcorn because it usually is. They recommended, write down the 12 gates again on your mirrors. Write it down on your, whatever you have to, look at it every day. Look at it. I've actually been doing that for about three weeks now. And it has changed my life going back to that very simple thing. It has helped me keep my lamps burning by keeping a screensaver on my phone with a scripture on it. It's been incredible. Even though we all want to say, yes, few of us realize what our lamps are and what it means to keep them burning. What is our lamp? We all know that we are the light of the world, and yet we struggle to know what exactly our lamps are and how to keep them burning. But... Yeshua was not speaking in unfamiliar terms to this audience. He had already taught on this. The answer to what our lamps are and how to keep them burning is found in the previous chapter of Luke. And that's Luke 11, 33. So turn the page or look over at Luke 11. We're going to pick up in verse 33 in the New King James. And it says, No one, when he has, his lit, has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then... Your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. The whole body will be full of light. It will be radiant as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Saints, the lamp of our body is our eye, our eyes. Therefore, when our eye is good, the lamp is burning. And it means that our whole bodies are full of light. 
Our whole bodies are radiant. You know what that means? Everyone around us can see that light. It is not hard to tell. It's not in a secret place. It's not hidden under a basket. It is out and exposed for all to see and for all to actually gain and receive from that light. Our lamps burning is equated to a good eye. And a good eye is a Hebrew expression. Yeah, it's a Hebrew expression. So we're going to teach you what the Hebrews say about this. Rashi says that one with a good eye steams another's honor as his own. It is an eye that respects and values what it sees. So a good eye represents a man that loves his neighbor as he loves himself. A good eye represents a man who wants to do unto others what wants wants done unto him. A man that finds value and honor in seemingly unworthy things. He's able to see the value in the honor. He has a good eye. Instead of seeing evil in other men, which we have an eye for, he's able to see the value and good in them because he has a good eye. And it's almost like keeping your eye on the Lord helps you to see your brother's right. Listen to how Maimonides put a good eye. This is Rambam. The good eye is the ability of being satisfied with one's lot in life and being happy over the successes of others. It's an eye free from a spirit of envy or greed. What did David struggle with again? Hmm. See, a good eye represents a man who does not covet. Not because there aren't beautiful things around, but because he is satisfied with what he already sees in the Lord and the Lord performing in his life already. He is a man who is satisfied with good things. Gosh, it's so easy to covet. (laughs) Happens all the time. See, a good eye represents a man that is able to celebrate the successes of others as if they were his own. Because he has his eye on the encampment of Israel. He has his eye on where the ark is going and what the purpose and the job and the mission of the ark is. He's able to celebrate those successes because he knows that those successes directly relate to him because he is of the same body as that man. A man with a good eye does not have covetous eyes. There is no envy in his eyes for what the other person has. There is no, well, Juan has this, so I think I'm entitled to it as well. No, a man with a good eye is satisfied with what God has given him. So we're going through a bit of a Hebrew lesson here. Lastly, we're going to talk about some other rabbis. Some other rabbis say that a good eye indicates a generous spirit toward others. It's an outwardly directed eye that shines forth comfort and care to those in need. A good eye represents a man who, instead of being stingy physically and spiritually, is generous. Saints, this cut me right to the heart because this is exactly what the Lord's been working out of me. His life, his energy, and his resources are spent outward because everything that God has given him and poured into him, he understands that it's for those that are around him. This is a man with a good eye. His eye is directed towards helping, comforting, strengthening, and providing for others, not taking and and garnishing for himself what belongs to someone else. His life is spent towards the good of those around him because he has a good eye. So you may ask yourself, how can I attain a good eye? Have you asked yourself that? Okay. How can I be a burning lamp? How can I become someone whose body and actions are radiant because his eyes are like lamps that are on fire and, ha- and his eye is good? Well, saints, we're going to turn to Psalm 19, verse 8. And the word is going to tell us how we become a good eye. Engage with this for a moment. How do you become a person that innately honors others? As you honor yourself, as you give priority to yourself, How do you become a person that innately has that, that has an eye to honor others? 
How can you become truly a person that is not coveting, that is not fighting that desire, but is actually satisfied, truly satisfied in what the, the law that the Father has given him? How can we have a generous spirit, not, that, not one that is holding back, that is always asking for more, but is actually opening up hands and arms to be able to give to those that are around him? How can Come we on. become that person? Well, How? There, that is the solution that we're giving you today. So, Psalms 19 verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Do you want a good eye? Do you want eyes that are radiant? Well, the, the commandments of the Lord are our light. They set our eyes on fire. They set our body on fire. They give light to our heart and to our body. They cause us to walk in His ways. They give us true satisfaction. They give us true generosity. When the Word hits you, you know that the Father is speaking to you and you don't want anything else. You know that you have something to give and not something to ask for. You become somebody that honors others because you see the value that in everything that He has created, it is good. Amen. And if you're finding evil in each other, then you realize my Father created good. My Father gave birth to my brothers, and there must be good I am not seeing. There is something that causes you to rise up with a good eye and eyes that are on fire and are able to see the goodness in other people. Turn with us to Psalm 34, verse 5. This is one of my personal favorites. <clears throat> it says, those who look to him can be radiant. Those who look to him were radiant. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You know, I wish we could, I wish we could just take somebody who is just brand new, born again, knows that their sins have been forgiven and is walking in the purity of God and put them right here on the stage just so you can look at them. Just so you can see the radiance of God all over their life. Now, why would I have to feel like we have to do that with a brand new Christian? Yeah, you see, we can do this right now. Us having walked with him know him better than that. We can look to him and have our faces radiant and never covered with shame. It is a promise. If we behold the one who is in the light, then the one who dwells in unapproachable light it is certain that we will become light. Our eyes will be full of flames of fire. And our whole beings will be full of light. And I'm not just speaking metaphorically. You can see it when a brother's looking to the Lord. You can see the shining radiant face all over them. If we behold the one who is good. The righteous one. It is certain that our eyes will become good. Or when our eyes are on him. We are fiery reflections of him. When our eyes are on him, darkness cannot overcome us. We may sit in darkness for a time, but it does not overcome us. Instead, his light in us overcomes the darkness, and we are able to shine through our actions that reflect him. From David's prayer life and actions, we know that after he manipulated the light of God, he still rose up. In Psalm 18, he said, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. How could he say that? Because he's looking to him like a radiant light. He became a man that reflected God rightly. This is because he made the turn and looked upon God's commands and his presence, which caused him to develop a good eye towards the entire kingdom around him. Look, where we're going next is we want to show you a contrast between the ending of Saul's life. Because Saul was the, was the only example of a king that David had. We want to show you the example of the ending of Saul's life and then the ending of David's life. So that you can appreciate the tremendous power that accompanies repentance from having a bad eye towards receiving a good eye from God. So in 1 Samuel 18, in verse 9, in the NIV 84, it says, And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Wow. Saints, in the Hebrew, it says Saul became an evil eye. 
He actually became an evil eye. Saul's manipulative nature caused him to try and kill the light of God all around him. With that in mind, let's look at the end product of David's life. Oh yeah, we want to look at that. Come on. First Chronicles 29 verse 3. It says, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Man, David, David made the turn. And in, in this verse, he's saying that all that I have, all the gold, all the silver, because of my devotion towards the Lord, I give it to the house of my God. There is no price too high when it comes to building the house of God. There is nothing that you cannot give when it comes to actually building his kingdom, when it comes to responding to his favor and his mercy. Our devotion increases as we go through the process like David did. And make the turn in the same fashion that David did. This is an important point. David cried out for repentance, knowing full well that there would be consequences, but that God would redeem him and would restore him. His devotion and commitment was pure and was sincere. He was a genuine son of God that looked to him, and therefore he was radiant and he was transformed. Let's go to verse 9 of 1 Chronicles 29. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. You see, there's a mutual joy between the king of the people and the people because of the generosity and willingness being displayed in their good eyes collectively. Man, thank God for the brotherhood. Say thank God for the brotherhood. Brother Bim came to me in the back and said, Brother, your face is not so radiant right now. Let me pray for you. And I got to tell you, from that moment, I began to be on an upward course towards looking at the face of God. You see, the house of God, when everyone's eyes are on the ark, when everyone's eyes are on the encampment together, the whole house of God is being devoted to the presence of God and having a good eye, and there is no limit to the generosity of each other when everyone has a good eye. We find in that moment the satisfaction of pouring out ourselves for one another. Oh, man. See, David found that his satisfaction for a moment was on sin. But ultimately, after repentance, he found his true satisfaction in pouring his life out for one another. David became a good eye for the nation of Israel to emulate. And he gave them an example of repentance in front of everyone. Man, how powerful is that? That's powerful. Let's go down to verse 14. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, All this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Saints, this is our heart cry tonight, that we would become the good eye that we see in Christ and that we would see it come about within the body, that we would join together and willingly give to the building up of the house of God so that his presence might remain here. Saints, we want to offer willingly, okay? We have nothing to give outside of what God has given us. I have nothing to give outside of what God has given to me and to my household. So I'm devoted. I'm committed to giving all of that to building up the house of God. Look, there's an abundance provided. You see, David had a storehouse. He had a treasury. But then he had another treasury. It wasn't wasn't just 
this amount. It was an abundance. There's no limit because it all comes from the hand of God. Saints, if we keep our eyes, a good eye fixed on the presence of God, we will realize we can continually to pour out. We won't be asking ourselves, how much longer, Lord? How much more must I give? How many more times must I correct my wife and my children? How many more times do I need to be corrected myself? We're going to continuously give generously because we fix our eyes on the presence of God. Where David previously lost his desire for the ark of God's presence, we see him here fully devoted to building a house for God's presence. And he's unifying the kingdom and doing the same. Saints, David, David's good eye called all Israel to unify around the presence of God in relation to one another. Come on. It didn't just stop with him. It was the entire nation doing this unified. The ark, the presence of God, because again, the center of the nation, and they lay, God's presence is the center of the nation. And they laid down their lives and gave willingly for it. So you're catching that? David's good eye was reflected on the good eye of the people. David wasn't the only one giving. All the people gathered together when they saw a king that had a good eye. The Israel had a good eye, and they all labored and gave everything they had as they rallied around the king and around the presence of God. Mark 3.13 speaks about the son of David going on to do exactly the same. Verse 13 says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Come on. Man, this is glorious. He called and they came. We kind of glanced through that verse like nothing happened. He called them. He called them and they came to him. This is glorious. The time that when he called you and you responded to that call. The branch of David and the, the name that I cannot get enough of saying. The righteous one. The righteous one. The only one good like his father. Called to them. Called to him who he desired. He desired to be with them. We get the privilege of setting our eyes on him because he has called us near. We get the privilege of being by him and accessing his presence in consulting with him and even arguing with him if necessary because he's close to us and we have friendship with him. Just this fact ought to set satisfaction in our, in our lives. Yeah. Gratefulness and joy in our hearts. There should be no coveting. Our eye becomes good when, we, when he called us and we look up to him. When we get this right, when we're in alignment with the presence of God, our gratefulness, our joy, our satisfaction increases and we move and we act like him. Look at John 6, 63 and then we're going to look at 68 as we work our way towards a close. John 6.63 is spoken in proximity to the disciples. And Jesus says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Church, the Spirit of God and the word of life are here. It's in your lap. It is being preached every Wednesday or every Thursday, every Sunday, every Tuesday, and in your homes every day of the week. That is what God has called you to. Our eyes, we're learning. Our eyes must be set on what is of the Spirit. Yeah. I learned when I was driving. If you're on a two-lane country road, do not look at the headlights in the oncoming lane. You will steer right into them. Look straight ahead where you are going in your own lane. Our eyes have to be set on the Spirit. What God is doing amongst us right now. And God is doing incredible things amongst us right now. When we reflect his eye, we turn to give generously to his cause. It's easier to sacrifice the flesh when you're looking on his cause. Look at verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where will we go? You have the words of life. This is the determination with which we have to keep our eyes set every single second, every minute on the throne of God. Where else can we go? That's why I mentioned my phone. I have to look at it all of the time because I find a half second goes by and I've drifted somewhere else. 
I have to put it in front of me so I can see it and remind myself of where the ark is leading me. Remind myself of what he has spoken in the past and what he is going to bring about in the future. We have been called to join in the building up of God's house. We turn and set our eyes on the king with full conviction to give everything back to him in that moment. And look, constantly setting your eyes on the throne means constant repetition and setting his eyes on. has to be done all of the time because there's so many other things. That is our very lives. He has called us so that we may be near to him. It's the goal. With our eyes on him, following after him, following after the encampment. As he moves, we move. His heart, his mind, and his actions are to become our own as we set our eyes upon him. That's right. Saints, when we started in Numbers 10, when the presence of God lifted and moved out, what was God doing? He was going to war. As our brother opened up with, the Lord is a warrior. That is his name. And we are going to war with him. Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords, and the King of kings, and those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. When we have a good eye set on pleasing our King, we join in his conquest as called, chosen, and faithful followers. Saints, it's not enough to do this once. We know to be faithful happens over time. We are constantly being called to set our eyes back on the presence of God so that we would have good eyes that rightly reflect him and join in his campaign. In this house tonight, we are responding to the call to kingship. He is the king of kings, and we are rising up as kings in this place. Let's go to Revelation 19, as this is our last passage. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Let's go. 19, 11. It says, Then I saw heaven opened. What a glorious sight. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it, it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes, man, his eyes. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head, there are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven are reigned in fine linen, white and pure. We're following him on white horses. Remember, in this place right now, as we're meditating on a passage that is literally heavenly. That we're supposed to set our eyes on heavenly things. When we set our eyes on the righteous one, on the faithful, on the true one. On the word of God. On the one who has eyes that are like flames of fire. Something happens to you. Something happens to me when we truly gaze at the son of man. In fullness of his glory. There's transformation. There's power that comes. It's like there is a transaction between heaven and earth. He becomes real. And the light of God. Then all of a sudden gives you a good eye. All of a sudden the flames of fire that are on the Son of God become your eyes as well. We rise up just like Him. The armies of heaven rise up just like Him. They go and they follow Him. And they don't follow Him to be lax and to be relaxed. They follow Him to make war. They follow Him to defeat God's enemies. They follow Him to give up their lives. They follow Him to love each other as they give up their lives for one another. They burn. They have a lamp that burns. Their eyes are like flames of fire. Church, as you're thinking about the one whose eyes are full of fire, you have to realize something. His eyes are full of fire because he is surrounded by the presence of God. His eyes are full of fire because all around him are lamps. But you have to ask, how did he get there? 
He had to be nailed to a cross and crucified so that he can get to that place. He had to go through the crucifixion of his own flesh so that he can ascend into the presence of God where he is surrounded by the burning lamps all around him. And those burning lamps are the essence of who he is. That is what God is calling us to tonight. But to get there, we have to lay on the altar and be crucified with Christ like he was. We have to have a Psalm 51 moment where we realize the areas that we've manipulated the light of God in our own lives. Where we've not asked for the direction of God in our team meetings, but instead we've determined our own course or decided to sit in silence because we took our eyes off the ark and did not go back there. Church, as we set our eyes on him, as we crucify our flesh now, as you begin to stand and the Lord begins to speak to you what needs to die, when you set your eyes on him, you will become radiant, demonstrating by your actions. You will move to honor each other. You will be satisfied with your lot in life and you will be willing and generous. If the Lord's put an area on your heart that you just need to go back to the ark of God, set your eyes on this body, set your eyes on the priest all around you, then come forward. Ask the Lord that he would wash your eyes, that he would crucify what it is inside you that has taken your eyes off the ark. Mighty God, we thank you for your burning, zealous revelation. We thank you for who you are. You are the one whose eyes are full of fire. Lord, we give everything that we are to you now. We ask that you set us on fire. We look to you and to your glorious presence. Lord, we want to set our eyes onto the purpose with which you called this body. To a swan, to the Middle East, to the salvation of souls all around us, mighty God.